Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. I'm Keith Pankow, your host, and I'm here today with a good friend, mentor, coach, and just a great example. Clint Ori has been a firefighter since 1991, a little over 30 years. He began his firefighting career and was certified at Louisiana State University as a firefighter and hired on by the Mandeville Fire Department in Louisiana. Clint attended the Louisiana State University Fire and Emergency Training Institute for his basic firefighting training and Slidell Technical College for Emergency Medical Technician Training. He completed his EMT training and became a nationally registered EMT in 1992. In 1993, Clint completed the National Fire Academy Chemistry of Hazardous Materials course and went on to Mississippi Fire College to complete his hazardous materials technician in 1994. In 1996, he began paramedic school at Hammond Technical College in Louisiana. In January of 1998, graduated with a diploma in emergency medical technician paramedic. In January of 1998, he also completed testing and earned his status as a nationally registered paramedic. Clint graduated with an associate's of fire science degree from Pikes Peak Community College in 2002 and holds certifications in fire investigation, hazardous materials technician, as an executive fire officer, as an all-hazard incident command operations section chief and incident commander. Clint has his Louisiana teaching certificate to teach at technical colleges and is Phi Theta Kappa National Honor Society Leadership and Ethics Trainer. Clint is currently working on a public administration degree through Columbia Southern University. Clint was promoted to the rank of fire captain in 1997, then promoted to district fire chief in 2011, and then to assistant fire chief where he now resides since September 2015. In the fall 2000, on his days off from Mandeville Fire Department, he began working as the part-time chief of administration for fire district number 13 in the Goodby, Louisiana area. Clint was hired to assist the volunteer fire department in making the transition from rural volunteer to suburban combination professional department and continues that work today. He's a certified ACE peer fitness trainer and helped create the St. Tammany Parish Hospital Firefighter Wellness Program, including the design and validation of firefighter advanced fit for duty assessment. He serves as a subject matter expert for St. Tammany Parish Hospital on NFPA 1582 standard on comprehensive occupational medical programs for fire departments and voluntarily works with firefighters who need assistance in meeting the essential job functions after returning from extended absences due to injury or illness. Clint serves on several public safety associations and committees, including the Parish Emergency Management Advisory Committee. Clint has served as a Boy Scouts of America Scoutmaster for many years and earned Boy Scouts of America Wood Badge from the Sam Houston Area Council in 2011-2012, where I also attended with him. He has worked with youth for most of his adult life through his church service and other programs. Clint was awarded First Responder of the Year in 1996 by the OLL Knights of Columbus, the Louisiana Distinguished Civilian Service Medal from the Louisiana National Guard in 2001, the Friends of the Military Award from the Mayor's Military Advisory Committee of Greater New Orleans in 2002, and the YMCA North Shore Heroes Award in 2018. He graduated from St. Tammany Program for Emerging and Existing Leaders in June of 2019. As part of his volunteer church service, he was assigned in July 2017 to serve pastorally as the Bishop of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Covington, Louisiana. Clint currently serves as first counselor on the Slidell State Presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, serving eight congregations across southeastern Louisiana and southwest Mississippi. Clint and his wife, Danielle Danos Ori, have been happily married since October of 1994. They have three adult children, Logan, Hannah, and Elizabeth, and a daughter-in-law, Lindsay. And it's just a pleasure to have you here today, Clint. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It is great to be with you. It's a great privilege to get to have this discussion. Now, it wasn't mentioned in your bio, but I know you've done a ton of volunteer work after natural disasters. 
helping people in flood events, in tornadoes, in hurricanes, and many other things, either cutting up trees that have fallen on houses, removing debris, gutting houses that have been flooded and mucking them out, and just overall help and delivering food and goods to those that might need it after a disaster. How did you get started doing that? Well, uh, obviously, my work as a first responder, I saw a lot of that. And we respond in the initial phase. And what you're describing is that recovery. And so I'd see these things happening, but then that would kind of be the end of it. We would go there and and provide that initial help, maybe affect a rescue or take care of somebody or, or take care of an immediate need, but not help in that recovery. And through my church, we are given the opportunity to serve. That is a big part of of our church membership is to care for one another, care for our neighbor, show love for our neighbor. And we do that. One of the ways that we do that is through that type of service. And so I've had many, many opportunities and many years of getting to do that. It's a great blessing. Many of those experiences I hold sacred just been a big blessing in my life to to get to participate in. Yeah, I agree. I my first disaster in my adult life and professional life was Hurricane Katrina, and I remember very vividly the devastation. And being there in a professional capacity, I didn't get to see that follow through. And it wasn't until I moved back to Louisiana as a resident that I started to work in this capacity alongside you, starting with tornadoes and floods, and then my first hurricane as a and a recovery effort was Hurricane Isaac, and then it's continued on since then. And we had a busy year in 2020 with eight named storms hitting the Gulf of Mexico. And we responded, I think, to five states and provided assistance. And then, of course, we had our own hurricane this year in Ida. It hit our local communities pretty bad. So as you look at those things, as you look at helping people, how do you think that translates to helping them become servant leaders themselves and want to get out and also help others? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that the best way to lead is by example. And that oftentimes when we are in our most vulnerable times, when we've been impacted in some kind of big way, it opens us up to be taught. It opens us up to look for answers, look for something more maybe than what we were, than we were before. And, and so I think that and I have seen where people that that we went out to help then joined in and helping us help others. And really, that's to me, that's kind of one of the big components of servant leadership is being that example to others, leading by example. Yeah, I love that thought. I was thinking as we were talking earlier, and I'm preparing to get go live on this about this quote, becoming a servant leader in training is a personal development process. And now you have a ton of professional experience. You have a ton of volunteer experience. You have a ton of experience in the community. You're well-respected throughout the St. Tammany Parish and throughout Louisiana in the community for all the work that you do. And it shows in some of these awards you've received, but the quote goes on, a process that enhances our awareness, our authenticity, and our integrity, and in turn, our relational capacity to respond to others. A servant consciousness involves building on all that we have learned up to this point in time. So I think, how do you reflect back on all that you've learned up to this point in time to enhance your servant consciousness? And how do you then help others do that as well? You know, that's a really good question. And it's one that, you know, I think it happens over the course of your lifetime. You know, we, we have 
examples throughout our lives, both good and bad. I was having this discussion with another leader who's a mentor of mine currently about how for a long time, I really was sort of sad that I had, particularly professionally, I had some really poor leaders at times. And as I reflected upon it, I actually learned a lot from them. Uh, a lot of not what, you know, what not to do, but also because of when there's a vacuum because of a lack of leadership, something's going to fill that void. And, and so it gives people the opportunity to step up. And, you know, in the absence, a title doesn't make you a leader. And so in the absence of the formal leader, informal leaders can step forward. And sometimes they will do that for selfish reasons. And sometimes they'll do it for the right reasons. And I feel like that most of the time I wanted to do it for the right reason. So I got, I had that opportunity. And what makes you a leader is that you have someone following you. If you have followers, you're a leader, regardless of title. And so then where are you leading them? So I think there's a lot of ways. And I, and then of course, you know, the flip side of that is I have had some good ones too, where I really learned a lot from professionally, in service, in friends. And so I just, I feel like from all of them, I've taken pieces of that. And even in the training that I've had, you know, as your eyes are open to things, especially once you've had that training and then you get to have some experience to go with it. One of the things I did, which normally you wouldn't do as a company officer, as a fire captain, I think I counted one time, I took five company officer formal classes. Usually you just take one of those. I, and I got certified after the first one, but I actually repeated the certification process at least once. I might've even done it more than once. I always tell people the last one that I took was literally right before I was promoted to a district chief, which is a different level in that program. And I was already certified for that. In fact, I think I was already certified to the executive level at that point, but I felt like I got the most out of the last company officer class that I took. And I don't know that it was any better than any of the other ones. I just had perspective and experience to apply to the lessons being taught. And so I think that it's just all of that. It's something that happens over a lifetime. And I think the more that we want to be a good leader, the more we want to learn, the more opportunity that we will have to do so. That's a great thought. And a couple of things you said in there, I want to dissect a little bit. The first one, first and foremost, about if you have people following you, you're a leader, just where are you leading them? And one of the whole purposes of this whole entire podcast is to show people examples from as many walks of life as I can get people to come on this show from as many backgrounds, as many levels as leadership, as many ethnicities, as many cultures, as many sexual preferences and genders. And I'm really trying to diversify the audience base by bringing in people that they can look up to and see models of themselves as they progress along the path. And one of the things I really wanted to do by doing that was showing all the listeners out there that they are a leader of some sort in some capacity. And what does that look like? Where are they leading the people in that capacity that they have currently? And where are they trying to build that capacity towards? So I really love the way you phrase that. And I hope that as you out there listening, think about that, you start to consider where are you leading the people around you? And really think about those that follow you as a leader. Because I promise you there's at least somebody. And the first person you should be focused on is where are you leading yourself? And then move on from there. The next thing you talked about was these opportunities to lead. And I just love that idea that these opportunities come to those that are seeking them. And it reminded me too, as you were talking of Captain Lushan Hanna, that I think we're going to come back to this quote quite often in these series is that as a leader, you have never arrived and you constantly have to keep getting better. And you're 
example of going to the same class multiple times shows that you recognize that you hadn't arrived and each course got a little bit better until the final one got the best because you had a much broader perspective to understand those things. Yeah, that is true. I don't think you you ever... I don't think you're ever done learning, never perfected leadership, that there is no such thing, especially not in this life. But yeah, absolutely. And, and I knew that. And as confident I, as I was, especially in my youth, like the older I get, the more I realize how little I know. It's funny how that works. You know, when, when you're young, you know everything. As you get older, you realize just how little you do know. But uh, I definitely agree with that. You, you never arrive. It's something you need to be working on continuously throughout the rest of your life. And if it's not changing, and evolving, you're probably not doing it right. Yeah, that's a great point. And we never want to get too overconfident in our leadership abilities because that's when we're failing. And when, you, like you said, we're not doing it right. But there's also this fear that some people might have that are listening out there. If there's no perfect leader, if you've never arrived, then what's the point? So how do we encourage people to continue to work to get better without holding themselves back because they're too afraid of their own potential? Yeah, that's sort of a an inner personal question. For me, I just, I want to do the right thing. In fact, um, I remember years ago, in fact, it was leadership and ethics train the training course where they, they gave us these 50 cards and each one of them had a value or a principle written on it. And we had to go through these cards and pick the 10 that sort of defined us. And then we did that. And that, of course, that would take a long time to go through 50 of those. And then you had to cut the 10 down to five. And then you had to cut the five down to three. And finally, you had to cut it down to one. And that was the hardest of all was, was giving up all these other things that were really important to you. That you felt like kind of made you who you were, that were your motivators and just come down to one. And everybody, no matter what one they picked, all had to explain how they got to that point. Like, how were they able to give up all these other things, these other values and principles to get to that one? And mine was truth. And it was one of the most amazing self-awareness things I had ever done. I realized that ultimately everything that I do and everything that motivates me is I just want to know the truth. Like, what is the truth? What is factual? What is right? And that's what motivates me. But everybody's got to find what that thing is. Like, what is it that motivates you? What is it that you're seeking? What are you trying to become? You know, I think if you don't ever do that, then you're sort of like a ship without a rudder. You know, you're just a cork bobbing in the water and whichever way the wind blows, that's which way you're going. And that's okay if that's what you choose. Those people aren't going to be very good leaders, though, because it goes back to what I was saying, that if you have people following your leader and so where are you leading them, hopefully you're leading them to, to something good, to something that's worth following somebody to do. Yeah, that's some profound things to think about. I heard a statement today. I was listening to another podcast as I was commuting to and from work, talking about people you know, losing their faith. And the question was asked, how do you not lose your faith, this individual? And they said, well, I have to determine what my non-negotiables of my faith are. And once I know those, then I can evolve and I can learn. But that all goes back to learning your truth, right? And I think it's really, really important, almost crucial to know what your truth is if you want to be a leader, to understand where you're coming from and where you stand rooted but also what your strengths, what your weaknesses are, what all combine together to create that truth. Because the second part of that, that is just as important, but I almost feel you can't move on to it until you know your own truth, but you have to learn other people's truths as well. If you're going to be a true servant leader, 
you have to know the people that you're working with. And so what do you do to get to know the people you're working with better? Well, it's funny that you say that. One of the things that came to my mind when we were talking about this, and I think where I was first introduced, this was the same class where I did that exercise where we had to narrow it down to one value or principle that was like defined us. But I learned it's from the Josephson Institute. If I remember, I think I'm saying that right. And it was the, the six pillars of character. And those are sort of like the core things that a good leader an ethical leader would have. And well, if I remember right, the six, trustworthiness, respect, responsibility, fairness, caring, I think being a good citizen or good citizen citizenship. And so you think about the respect and the caring in every role that you may have in leadership, there may be different boundaries set by what it is you're doing, right? And so showing someone that you care about them may look different in different circumstances. So if you're a leader in your family, you know, let's say you're a, a parent, you're leading your children. Obviously you can be much more intimate with your children than you can with a stranger at work in, in formal work environment. But there is no doubt that if someone knows that you care about them, if they really feel that, they're going to give you their all. They're going to trust you. They're going to follow you. I, I know that. And there's a lot of ways that you can, a lot of small ways you can show that. I think one of the biggest ways is just through respect. You know, one of the things that just always makes me cringe when I see people who are in charge, you know, put themselves above those that they're supposed to be leading, like some kind of way they're better because they're in charge. That just... <laughs> I don't care for that. And I think that, yeah, you can use that kind of tactic. And there's some people that will, you know, they'll fall in line. And part of being a good leader is being a good follower. And I've had those kinds of leaders before. And I show them the respect that somebody with, you know, those pillars of character would. But I'm not going to feel the same way about that leader than I would about one that I feel like really cares about me. And so I think that there's a lot of ways that you can, but I think just showing people respect because you can do that in any setting, uh, no matter how formal or informal, showing respect, showing caring, being caring, being fair, being someone that's trustworthy and honest. You know, those two things kind of go hand in hand. Trustworthiness is, is honesty. I think those things... And then being a good citizen yourself. So it, whatever the rules are of what it is you're doing, because everything has some sort of rules or boundaries set. It's just part of life, formal or informal. And so whatever those are, you are a good citizen. You keep those rules. You keep those boundaries yourself. All of those things that are the pillars of character, that is what being a good leader is and really being a servant leader is. I just really feel that. And so I guess I didn't technically answer your question, but I, but I feel like I did because it really <laughs> would vary in the circumstances. And I think it starts with respect and it goes from there. Yeah, I, I completely hear what you're saying. And I think that you answered my question in a way that can speak to more people and more circumstances. So I appreciate that. And I hope people will apply it as it pertains to them. And I thought about it as you were talking, how true it is. If I know someone really cares about me and they're giving me a hard lesson, like if they're telling me something I really need to hear, but I might not want to hear it. If I know they care about me, I'm going to take it in. If I don't think they care about me, my pride might spark up. I might resist it. 
And I may or may not get the same value out of that lesson that I probably needed to hear just because of that relationship. And so I think there's some value there just looking at it and just recognizing my truth that that I can be a little prickly when I'm confronted with my weaknesses. And when that happens, if it's coming from a place of love and respect, I'm more likely to learn and grow from it. And I think that's a valuable lesson. Yeah. I mean, that that's just human nature. I mean, there, there is nobody, you know, and everybody's response to criticism or to something that is kind of uncomfortable for them is going to be different. There's some people who they may not speak up. Like you're saying, you might get a little prickly, meaning it might get you to react. There's other people who will react, but it'll be internally. You won't even know it. You won't even see it other than in their performance or lack of it. Those kind of passive aggressive types or people who internalize everything instead of externally voicing or acting out. And so the reality is, is that it's the same for, for pretty much everyone. If you know somebody cares about you, you're going to, you're more likely to trust them. You're more likely to feel like, and then it goes back to what I was saying about the respect that if you're going to correct somebody, there's a way to do that respectfully. And, you know, that is just so important, you know, how we treat other people, how we correct, because all of us need it at at some time, right? A good leader is not going to allow somebody to do something that's not right. That's not correct. That's not the right way. That's not being a good leader. That's not being a leader. And so, you know, there's going to be times that you'll have to correct, but doing that in the right way, in a respectful way, that is how you build trust. That's how you, that's how people know you care, know you're sincere. And then certainly, of course, owning your own mistakes and not being afraid to do that. And that's, it's one of the biggest flaws of most leaders is that they feel like, well, I'm the leader, so I can't make a mistake. I can't be wrong. I think that that is a huge mistake. Now, there may be some people who if you admit you're wrong, well, then, oh, you know, they're in charge. You know. But that's okay. You know, in time that if you are doing it right in time, you can change those people or those people will remove themselves from the team. It's just the natural process of it. If you're consistent, you know, I, that goes back to that trustworthiness, to that honesty, to that integrity. And so it really just all starts with respect and then earning the trust of people. And so, uh, and, you know, goes from there, but good, uh, good thoughts. Yeah. I was thinking as you were talking about a book titled credibility and I'm drawing a blank on the author right now, but I'll put a link to it in the show notes because I know I have it saved and I have it in my personal library, but I have worked for this leader this one time. I remember they were always flustered because nobody trusted them or respect them. And I just wanted to leave that book on their desk and to <laughs> send the message. They'd lost credibility with the team because they didn't hold people accountable and they didn't show respect to people. So it was a dual nature. It was both ends of the continuum. They didn't, they didn't bring out the best in people. And then they didn't also hold people accountable. Even when they had a high standard, it was just this weird environment. And so they had zero credibility. And I think that all goes back to whether you're pushing people hard or you're holding people accountable, or you're just challenging people to get better. The more they feel respect and nourished in that environment, the more likely that they are to respond in a positive manner. And I also think, going back to what we were talking about earlier, the more we realize people's truths, the more we realize the difference between introverts and extroverts, the way we realize how people process information, how they might react to a challenging circumstance. Or for me, if someone pushes me harder, I might try harder. 
if I have respect for them, but that might not work for everybody. And so the more we know people's truths, the more we can harness them according to their truths to build up, bring out the best in them. Yeah, that's a great point. Like when you get to know the people you you're leading, when you know, when you get to know them and sort of understand what motivates them, like you said, their truth, that is powerful because you're going to change maybe how you talk to that person. But you know, you, you have a military background. I have a, a background in uh, emergency services. Oftentimes we're in circumstances where we have to make a snap decision. There's not time to discuss it. You know, you're given an order and they're following it when you're in a leadership position, but that's not hundred percent of the time. That's a little easier. Honestly, if you've trained, you, you know, all right, these are the things that need to be accomplished. This person is in charge. My role is this, like it's, it's very well defined and that's a lot easier than all the rest of the time. Like I'll never forget when I got promoted to captain in 1997, the community that I worked for, for the fire department that I worked for was just growing really fast. So the department just grew literally overnight. Like I, I showed up to work one day. I was only 26 years old. Back then was just unheard of when I got promoted to captain. And it was just out of the blue. I came to work one day and they said, hey, you got, you're getting promoted to captain. I was like, wait, what? It, like other people knew before I did, it was that kind of a big deal. And Literally overnight, I went from being a, a dumb 26-year-old kid in the eyes of a bunch of grown men to now I'm, I'm the captain. That was very eye-opening. And when this happened, the fire chief at the time <laughs> said, look, I, I'm going to do, even though we all had had formal training and we're going to go to formal training, he actually did a class, a week-long class for us. And he said, this isn't going to have anything to do with emergencies. I'm not worried about fires or medical emergencies or rescues or any of that. It has material scenes like you'll handle all that. It's like, I'm worried about the other 99% of the time. And so the whole class was on like dealing with people and everyday problems, everyday issues. And what was so funny is this fire chief, he, he had been a chief in New Orleans and had retired from there and then took the fire chief's job here in Mandeville and was helping this small, mostly volunteer fire department when he took over, I think in like 1988 or 89, helping it make the transition. And I had, you know, gone through that with another fire department in the area, kind of grew the same way here. And it's just funny that I, I ended up kind of doing the same thing, but he was an amazing mind when it came to emergency service. He had seen so much and done so much was way ahead of his time in his training. He was an instructor at the National Fire Academy, an adjunct instructor for them. He taught there. He'd go off and teach. He was probably one of the first in Louisiana to complete the executive fire officer program there. He was very ahead of his time in a lot of things, but he struggled with his interpersonal dynamics with other people. That was his struggle. And it was funny that he recognized that in all of us, that that's where we were going to struggle. And he taught an amazing class and everything that he said was true. And he struggled to, to always follow it, you know, but he was a great leader and I was fortunate to have him, but that just stuck in my mind that, you know, that uh, the other 99% of the time, uh, and it's just so true. It, it's those interpersonal relationships with all of the individuals that make up a team, that make up a company, that make up a family. It's those individual interactions and the everyday things, the other 99% of the time that really kind of make or break that organization or that team. Yeah, that's a great thought. And, you know, I had an opportunity to explain 
the transverse of that, the bad leadership in that environment. And what happens when you don't build that up, when you don't pay attention to the 99%, because I used a term here in my current role with the Mexican Navy about fragging somebody and they were wondering what that meant. So I had to explain them It's a term that came out of the Vietnam War when there was bad leaders and they would let bad things happen to those bad leaders. So they would be removed from their leadership position. And in those environments, if you don't build that trust ahead of time, it could be very catastrophic to those leaders. Kind of in a joking manner, we use that terminology today, but it had very real consequences to those leaders that chose not to harness the 99%. And some of them paid for it with their lives. And most of our leadership experience, we won't pay for it with our lives, but we'll pay with for it with our credibility. Yeah, and <laughs> for sure. Your credibility can be just as hard to get back if you pay that price. So it's just as important to safeguard your credibility as it is to safeguard your life. And I'm- yeah, that, that is a great point. You, you, you know, that's something that I have as an assistant chief, I supervise district fire chiefs and, or did now I'm in, in administration and a staff position, but I still meant do a lot of mentoring. I believe that is just so important. Leadership, a lot of it's informal and being passing on knowledge, passing on information and thoughts. Every bit of that that you can get from somebody is just so beneficial. And I was fortunate to have good leaders take that time with me. And so I try to do that. And one of the things that I tell as many guys and gals as I can. Uh, that will listen is that what you're doing right now before you are formally made a leader is determining your future as a leader, (laughs) you know, because especially in environments where that you're being developed from within today, you're one of the, the team and, you know, tomorrow you're the captain or you're the, the chief or whatever. When that happens, everything that you've done up to that point, you can't erase it. And so what we do, that credibility, like you're talking about, that's built over time. And it's it's established in every little thing that we do every day, day in and day out. And it's hard to undo that. And, you know, we have people in our organization that they have changed. They're not the same person. They can't get past their past. And so, you know, like you said, when you do that, especially once you're in the leadership position, once you lose that credibility, it is so hard to get that back. And so it's best just to not in the first place. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I want to switch gears a little bit as we begin to wrap this up. And I hope with all you listeners that Clint and I have built some credibility with you because we're going to talk about some things that might be a little uncomfortable for some, but is a very important attribute when we talk about servant leadership. And I was reading an article that was helping me to determine how I could better evaluate myself and others if I was building servant leadership through this blog and podcast and through my actions as a leader. And there was, I was reading an article on the creation of a validation of a short form of the servant leadership behavior scale, because many of the forms out there that evaluate whether or not you're exemplifying or conducting servant leadership are kind of long and arduous and not very easily implemented in an organization. And so these academics wrote an article that create a shorter version of that form. And in that article by Sen Sanjaya, Nathan Ava, Ivan Butar Butar, Mulyadi Robin, Samantha Castles, and I apologize if I mispronounced any of those, but on their article, they talk about, we surmise that without the spiritual to mention there's nothing unique or new about servant leadership, nor would servant leadership become a truly holistic leadership approach. 
Spirituality is a key yet often neglected dimension of servant leadership because the ambivalence many have towards its importance. In practical terms, servant leaders exemplify spirituality when they nurture in their followers a deep awareness of higher purpose or calling that ought to drive what they do and how they do it on a daily basis, and a sense of alignment between oneself and one's occupation to develop an intrinsically stimulating and rewarding career. And I led with that article and that quote because. I know Clint very well, and he is a man of faith, but he's also a man that respects other people's faiths that are different than his own. He respects people's own version of their own spirituality. And I've watched him try to gain a better understanding and to embrace the truths of others as he leads. And I really respect that. And so as we move into this weekend of Christmas and then the following week of Kwanzaa, I thought it'd be a perfect opportunity for us to show how we can talk about faith and spirituality in a way that is respectful and embracing and allows us, as they said, to be truly holistic leadership approach and that we don't deny a portion of someone's truth as we look at them. And so Clint, what's one of the things that you do to center yourself in your own truth while trying to respect other people's truths? Well, it's funny, as you were saying that, I, I thought about the golden rule, <laughs> treat others as, as you would want to be treated. And, you know, and it goes back to one of those pillars of character of respect. And so first off, if you care about somebody, you will be interested in the things that they're interested in. And so if someone holds a belief different than mine, doesn't matter what it is. If I want that person to know that I care about them, then I will show genuine interest in what it is that they believe and, and why. And in, in doing so, not only am I showing them that I, I actually care, I'm learning about that person, learning what motivates them, as you said earlier, their truth, but what is that central kind of thing that motivates them? And that is just so important. Every one of us, all human beings want the same thing. Every single one does. We just want to be happy. But how we think we're going to achieve that happiness is really what separates us. We all just want to be happy. That is why we do all the things that we do. The bad things, the good things, some kind of way in our minds, we've determined that by doing this, it's going to, it's going to make me happy. And as you would say, mankind's search for, for happiness, that path takes us in a lot of directions. And there's a lot of ways that people attempt to find that. I find that fascinating personally. And if somebody is interested in knowing what I believe, I am absolutely happy to share it with them. And I, I, I want to know what they believe and why. And one of the things that I've learned in taking that course in life, that path in life, is that oftentimes we find that there's way more that we have in common then we have that is not. No matter what, every faith that I've ever learned about, most of them have some core or central themes that remain constant. Even those that don't, that say they don't believe in anything, that are agnostic or atheist, believe in science, believe it, you know, all of those things that they all have common threads. And I think it's the things that are similar that we can build on and that there's things that are different that we can learn from. And, and so I, that's just my philosophy on that. And again, like I said, it goes back to that word of respect. Yeah, I love that word respect. And we talked b- before and in the prep time about that word more. And 
I shared with you my thoughts on the word tolerate and tolerance. And oftentimes we set this expectation that we just need to achieve tolerance. And I feel like that is such a substandard goal. It's just, you know, intolerance. If you're aspiring to be a servant leader, intolerance is absolutely unacceptable. But tolerance is just barely above that. We right, want to it's be a baby a step servant. in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, a baby step, right? You know, crawling. You're crawling. You're not even stepping yet. I would argue. And if you want to be a servant leader, you got to get to respect. You got to know your truth, but also embrace other people's truths. As me and April talked about in last week's podcast, you can't harness many me versions of yourself. That's not the goal of servant leadership. The goal of servant leadership is to harness them to their greatest capacity, their greatest potential. And if I'm not willing to learn their truths because I'm only at tolerance, then I'm not ever going to get him to that point. No, that's, that's a great point. And the word, to- when I, when I hear the word tolerance, I often think of arrogance, you know, someone that just tolerates something, it's really kind of a superior position and not always are the things that we're tolerating. Is it that black and white? And, you know, I think it, tolerance is a step towards being able to learn to respect. And that's why I said, you know, it's a baby step as as you so, uh, so stated, uh, it's really not even a step. It's, it's, it's crawling. And sometimes that's the best we can do. And if that's all we can do, it's a start, but that shouldn't be the goal, right? Tolerance shouldn't be the goal. Respect should be the goal and hopefully love and understanding. And so, and that's built on respect. It starts there and being willing to listen to what other people have to say, being willing to listen to their ideas and their feelings why they believe what they believe. And like I said, I, I am, I never cease to be amazed at how really similar it, it goes back to what I was saying about, about the, the 50 values and principles that we were digging through pretty much everybody, by the time they boiled it down to the one, it, we were all pretty much saying the same things. It was just how we got there. That's really what all these other things are about. You mentioned that they said that without spirituality, you know, they felt like you could never really be a, a, a true servant leader. The first time I ever heard of, of that uh, expression, by then I was a, a practicing Christian and had studied the scriptures a fair amount. And I'm much older now, and so I have for many, many years. And so it's just much more plainly so to me. But first time that I heard of that, I immediately thought of Christ. And he taught that principle. He exemplified that in the washing of the feet of his disciples as such a humble thing to do. And if whether you believe in Christianity or not, the stories are there. And so there's value in those lessons. And if you really believe that he was or follow in the story that he was the literal son of God, that he had created worlds without number, including this world upon which he was existing, that he had come down in human form in very humble circumstances to teach and to show a better way. Someone who truly was royalty beyond even earthly status, who would do that for people who were his pupils. They called him rabbi. They called him teacher. So that is such a, to me, such a stark example And of course, there's multiple verses in the scriptures where it says, you know, that he that would be chief among you, let him be your servant. Similar quotes throughout the the scriptures. 
there's a reason why that's being said and a reason why the son of God, this true royalty came in such humble circumstances, served his whole life and then sacrificed himself for, for humanity. Just that story, the teachings of that story, whether you believe it's, you know, truly did happen or it's just a good story. That is just such an amazing spiritual example of a servant leader. Now, you may say, well, how does that apply to making widgets or to, you know, being a fire chief or whatever? You know, the goal was so much bigger in that. And we're still in, in life. And so we don't know, I guess, until we leave this life, you know, for sure, if it's true or otherwise. And that's where I guess the, the results of it all would be seen, right? In this life after this one, I think that whether it's that, whether it's other spiritual beliefs, Buddhism, you know, the Muslim faith, there are those similar teachings, those similar belief structures, that spirituality in many beliefs. And like I said, I think that there's more in common and it's where does that come from within us? And, and what is it that we're seeking? I, I don't know. I, I think that, um, Again, it's a very personal, uh, internal thing. Yeah, I agree. And I think there, like you said, there's something to be learned. And, and hopefully in my grand vision, I have a great leader picked out that I've I worked with and came across from the Malaysian Coast Guard. And if I can convince him his English is good enough to be on the podcast, I'd love to have him introduce his version of servant leadership, as I know he is one. Uh, at the start of Ramadan and to celebrate his Muslim faith as well, because there's so much we can learn from each other. And even as you talked about Jesus Christ and his ability to descend and to serve, he also embraced other people's truths as well. He met people where they were. And, you know, in our country's history, I think we have to recognize that we have not been perfect and we've made some very hurtful mistakes as a people. Now we can get in a lot of debates on how guilty we should feel or what we should do about that. But the reality stands that these things happened. They're there. We can't just ignore them. And as a result, I, I was doing some research in this, the celebration of Kwanzaa. I wanted to know more about Kwanzaa and what made it. And my heart hurt a little bit when I realized that Kwanzaa was built out of people feeling their voices weren't heard, that they didn't feel like they had a connection to something, to this country and to other things. And it's expanded beyond that. But that was some of the roots of, of this great celebration, Kwanzaa, is that these, the voices of our African-American brothers and sisters, they weren't heard, they weren't acknowledged, they weren't respected. And because of that, they created this beautiful celebration that I've had the pleasure of learning about. And I invite you to learn yourself about it as we move into Kwanzaa week next week. But I really want to just share the seven principles that are attached to it. The, the word Kwanzaa is a Swahili word. It comes from the Swahili phrase, Matunda Ya Kwanzaa. And they added an additional A to the end of Kwanzaa on that. Um, but the word, the phrase actually means first fruits. And it's tied to some festivals that exist in Southern Africa to celebrate the Southern solstice and some harvest time. And they added the aid to represent these seven principles that come along with that celebration. And that's where the additional aid in Kwanzaa comes from. And the, the principles are unity, self-determination, collective work and responsibility, 
cooperative economics, purpose, creativity, and faith. And I would surmise that there's an aspect of servant leadership in each of those principles and that we could all learn something on our path to becoming better servant leadership as we expose ourselves to the truths of others. And so that's my challenge for everyone this week. First, first things first, if you don't know your truth, don't jump ahead. Really spend some time thinking about what your truth is. If you do know your truth and you're ready to advance, spend some time learning someone else's truth this week. Really thinking about it, not from your own point of view, but from theirs. That's going to take some work. Once again, don't jump ahead. You got to learn your truth first. But if you're ready, take the plunge and embrace that challenge. All right, Clint, we've been going long. I don't know if anybody's still listening at this point, but do you have any parting thoughts? Well, I love what you just said about, um, you know, for, it start, don't jump ahead. You start, decide what it is that you believe for. What do you stand for? What is important to you? What is your truth? What motivates you? And then go learn about what motivates others, what their truth is, what their belief system is. And what I would say like you said, don't try to understand it from your perspective, try to understand it from theirs. And I, that's just important in just being a good listener and a good communicator. But I also think that that as you do that, you want to look for those things that are in common. And as you do that, you will learn to have that respect that is just so important. Boy, wouldn't this world be just such so much a better place if everyone showed respect to one another. It, it just, it would change the world. And so the way that you can gain that respect is by finding that common ground, those things that are the same, and then learn to embrace those things that are different. And you never know, you may find something that you can add to your beliefs that, uh, that maybe you didn't, hadn't thought of before. Uh, I just, I just think that's really important. And I love that, that challenge for this week to Go learn about what other people believe. So look for those things that are in common. Well, thanks so much, Clint, for joining us, taking your time. Thanks so much for everybody listening. Um, I really hope that you're enjoying the podcast. Please share it with your friends. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, rate it and review it. That helps get it out there. Uh, I really hope to expose people to these wonderful examples of servant leadership that I've been exposed to and that more people are sending me people they've been exposed to that we can have future guests so that they can start to see their own truth, and then have that truth expand and build and strengthen their capacity as a servant leadership. So thanks for joining us on That All Might Be Edified, Discussions on Servant Leadership. And you can find us at www.thatallmightbeedified.com for the blog, as well to see images of those who present on the podcast. Have a great day.